Hello, my name is Scott Bradley, and this is the Scott Score Podcast. And today I'm joined by sports producer, former boy band member, and a massive Aberdeen fan, Ali Begg. Welcome to the show, mate. Hi, Scott. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's episode 100, mate, so no pressure at all. <laughs> ah, cool. Good stuff. Aye, big milestone. So we'll just dive right into it. So we'll start from the beginning. Uh, you're a massive Aberdeen fan, as I just said. So what age did you start supporting Aberdeen? I, I first started supporting Aberdeen when I was eight years old, give or take a few months. So my we actually lived in Holland for a while. When I was a wee boy, we lived in Holland because my father was working out there. So for going on four years, we lived in Maastricht. And then my dad got a new job working out of Aberdeen Airport because for many years, my father always worked in aviation. So we moved to a small fishing hamlet 13 miles north of Aberdeen called Newborough. And before school in the morning and before my dad would go to work, he would sit at the breakfast table and wax lyrical about this local football club that had just won the league championship. And through that, it just became an obsession, really. I was just really intrigued, even at that age. I can still recall it at that young age, just being really interested in what he had to say. And he would read the newspaper to me and he would read the reports from the weekend's games to me. And then he would allow me to stay up and watch the sports scene highlights or we would watch Scott Sport together on a Sunday afternoon. And then through that, you start to recognise the faces, your Willie Millers and your Gordon Strachan's and your Mark McGee's and obviously your Alex Ferguson's of this world. And from there, mate, that's where it really started to become an absolute obsession of mine. So it was sort of the tail end of 79 into 1980 when I really started to become an Aberdeen fan. Mm-hmm. And see the, the list of players that you just mentioned there, mate, like what a group of players, like what a what an era that was for Aberdeen as well. And yeah. obviously you've seen the, the success of Sir Alex Ferguson, who has went down as, in my opinion, the best manager of all time, you know. But see, when you look at Aberdeen now, right, I know I'm jumping ahead a bit here now, but see the situation with Aberdeen right now. I know the Aberdeen fan base is very split on Derek McInnes, but what's your take on it? To be honest with you, I, I need to sit on the fence slightly because for me, we need to go to the next level. And I don't think we've achieved that for three or four years now. And I think if you ask any Aberdeen fan, the next progressive step for us is to win a cup final, qualify for the Europa League, and try and finish second or third. Now, I know over the past few seasons that we finished second and that we finished third, but since Rangers have come back into the league, that pattern has slightly started to erode. I think it's very important that we get through the qualifying stages of the Europa League because it's becoming a monkey on the back. And we need to get through semi-finals. We appear to be in semi-finals year in, year out, and just can't get over that final hurdle. And then when we do make it to a final hurdle, something happens. So it's been, what, seven years now? since we won the League Cup back in 2014. And it's about time we started seriously contesting for more silverware. 
And at the moment, we have such an opportunity to finish second and seriously look at that route to Champions League football. But at the moment, we're just not performing. And what an opportunity we have at the moment because of the troubles that are going on at Celtic Park. And we're not capitalising on that. And it's frustrating as an Aberdeen fan knowing that there is a window of opportunity and we're simply not taking it. So what do we put that down to? Do we put that down to the current situation where, you know, the world is in such a strange place at the moment? Is it affecting people's thinking? Is it affecting players' thinking? Is it affecting preparation? Does it affect the management team? Because you have to think that this whole pandemic, it's not just about how it affects the football club off the park with the fans and all that kind of stuff but it's affecting livelihoods and people that are working and people that are getting furloughed and all this kind of stuff. So we don't know what is going on behind the scenes. But for me, there is an opportunity there, as I said, to grasp a second place finish, to progress through the cups, to progress in Europe. And at the moment, we're not doing that. And for me, those questions need to be answered. Mm -hmm. No, I, I know, I, I completely like, understand what you're saying, but see, for me, obviously, I'm not an Aberdeen fan, right? But if you see from a neutral looking in, I feel like some Aberdeen fans are not giving them the kind of respect that he does deserve, considering where Aberdeen were before he took over. He literally transformed the club, you know, and obviously he's been very consistent, right? And I know things aren't ideal right now for Aberdeen right now, but he's been very consistent. Like, every season he's finished in the top four. He's got European football, but yet... There needs to be a bit more progression, especially when it comes to like winning a cup or like and mainly actually making Europa League group stages. And this year, there's this is such a great opportunity, as you say, to make the Champions League. You see, I think when you talk about respect, I think there is there will always be respect there, and I think. You know, I've seen online recently some of the fans that have left banners outside Patojri. Now, I don't endorse that at all, mm -hmm. and I don't believe in it. I think it's quite childish, if I'm being honest. But I do understand the thinking behind it because fans are starting to get frustrated at what they see as a lack of progress. I get frustrated with the lack of progress, but I certainly wouldn't go stand outside and make a banner and pin it against a fence or a wall. That for me doesn't do us any favors whatsoever because we need to come together. Everybody needs to come together because we are, as I've mentioned in such surreal times at the moment. And the only way to get through it is by being one and being together. So he does need to, to progress. We do need to go to the next level. And for the fans to have their frustrations appeased, he needs to be able to do that. How he does it, that's entirely up to him and his coaching staff and the players. That's not for me to comment on, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's absolutely fair enough. You know, but see, I was speaking to my friend about this, who's a big Aberdeen fan, right? And he's completely McInnes out. But I did say to him, though, like, I think you've heard this quote uh, that's been branded uh, amongst the people in the media and uh, football managers about be careful what you wish for. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was saying to my friend, like, 
it reminds me a lot of, right, obviously I'm not comparing the two managerial uh, ability-wise, but it reminds me of the way Arsenal fans with, were with Arsene Wenger, where they wanted him out, they, they, were like, they wanted rid of him, and they got their wish, and Arsenal got worse. You know, so that's why I'm thinking, like right now, I think McInnes is bulletproof after what he done a few years ago after rejecting Rangers' job. So he's not going to get sacked, right? It'll need to be a disaster for him to get sacked. But if he's going, it'll be on his own accord, you know. But correct me, correct me if I'm saying right. I think Aberdeen have the third biggest budget in the in the league. Not hundred percent sure if I'm being honest. Yeah, but it's it's a it, obviously it's a big budget, and as you were saying, they should be doing better. But like, I still think that Aberdeen fans need to just be a wee bit not knee-jerk, if you know what I'm saying. But when it comes to Derek McInnes, yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I I don't think you should be knee-jerk in, in any sort of um, in any situation, be it football, be it life in general. You shouldn't be knee-jerk. But it's sometimes you can't help but be that way. So it's down to each individual um, how they they deal with the situation, how they handle the situation, how they handle their emotions. You know, I wasn't particularly happy the other week when um, you know. We, in fact, I was raging the other week when we lost four one to Ross County. Mm-hmm. You know, with the greatest respect to Ross County, we should not be losing four one to to County. And it was, a, it was an abysmal performance and it was a very difficult afternoon. It was a very difficult watch, I've got to be honest. So if you're going to put a gun to my head, I would say, look, Derek McInnes deserves time to make things right. I know for a fact that he works tirelessly. Mm-hmm. He is working with a restricted budget. The football club has no income at the moment. People have to remember that. So without the income, you know, the chairman and the board of directors are doing everything that they can to keep that club afloat. And they're doing quite a remarkable job, if you ask me. I think if you ask any Aberdeen fan, they will tell you what a remarkable job they are doing. Mm -hmm. You have to think that we've gone nearly, nearly 12 months without an income. Yet we are still financially stable and we are not in debt and we've been able to hold all members of staff at that football club. So the work that is going on behind the scenes is to make sure that everything on the pitch gets better and the product becomes better. So at the moment, I think there needs to be a degree of patience and allow Derek to work away, let the players improve, because there are players at the moment that need to improve but they don't need us to tell them they need to improve. These guys are professional football players. They know themselves that maybe the performances are not of what is expected of them and they have to do better. So I think let's just give it a little bit of time because Aberdeen historically, especially over the past few years under Derek McInnes, have a tendency to go on good runs. And I'm waiting still for that good run to appear. And I'm hoping it's going to come between now and the end of the season. So I was encouraged by our first half display against St. Johnston. I was discouraged by our second half display against St. Johnston last night. But there are signs there that if we get the right mixture, we get the right tactics, we get the right people on the park, we get everybody fighting for the cause, 
that we could potentially start to make some positive movements towards the end of the season. No, absolutely. So this is, this is my last question on the Derek McKinnon situation. So hypothetically speaking, right, if he was to go, who would you like to see come in? It's a hypothetical question, so you're going to get a hypothetical answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't know, mate. I don't know at the moment. I don't know. I don't think it's right for me to answer that question because, as I said, yes. um, I'm, not, I'm not one for saying that Derek McInnes should go at the moment. And I think if I was to start saying Derek McInnes should go, then people are going to read into that, whether it's a hypothetical answer or not. Mm-hmm. So if you... It, Respectfully, mate, I'm not going to answer that question. That's fair enough, mate. That's absolutely fair enough. But see, one thing uh, I want to speak about is you've been very vocal about the proposals from the City Council in terms Mm. of the stadium. So I just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, listen, I was was absolutely all for the move to the new stadium. Um, You know, as much as I was saddened to to see us potentially leave Pataudry, because for me, Pataudry has played such a huge part in my life. It was my second home for so many years. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost a spiritual home for me. Um, it's where I had some of my most cherished schoolboy memories, some of my most cherished memories um, as a human being, full stop. It's where I shared so many great memories with my, with my family. Whenever I think of my late mother and father, I always think of us at the football. So it's a very special place to me. So as much as it was a, um, it was difficult for me to endorse us leaving Pataudry, I just felt for us to go to the next level, as a football club and as an institution, we needed to think about the bigger picture. So, and that, to be honest with you, I, I, I understood the, the pros and the cons of it. I did feel it was a little bit out of the city, but when I saw the plans and when I saw what they were looking to do, I fully endorsed it. Now, obviously, everything is so different because of the pandemic. Now, I don't know what is going on at that football club. It's none of my business what goes on at that football club um, in terms of um, whether they're going to move the stadium or not. But I do know that the cost to run Pataudry is hundreds of thousands of pounds every year, every season. And it is becoming a tired stadium. So maybe from a financial point of view, it's not, it's not sustainable anymore. With these new council proposals about maybe opening up a new site at the beach, I could see that and why it could be attractive to one, the football club and to the fans. It's nearer to the city centre. Um, it will regenerate the area which desperately needs at the moment and it it keeps us closer to what is Pataudry I guess so listen I, I I have no issues with us leaving Pataudry I have no issues with us going to Kingsford and I would have no issues with us going to um, a potential new site on the beach so at the moment we just have to wait and see what happens because it's very early days and these proposals only came out in the past few days. And the football club have said, obviously, you know, that they would um, that they would be willing to look at it. And that's, at the moment, that's all they're doing. But, you know, people have to remember that we are in 
such, I, I'm fear of repeating myself, Scott, we are in, in such strange times that exactly. everybody's just pulling in the reins at the moment. And I personally think that's the right thing to do. Just pull in the reins, take stock. And then once the world betters itself and we get back to some sort of normality, then we can start to address these things. But at the moment, let's just let's just pull in the reins a bit. Yeah, just take one day as it comes, you know, because exactly, COVID-19 is so unpredictable. And see the way it's going just now, like fan, I don't think fans will be back uh, in the stadiums this year at all, you know. I agree, I and, agree, uh, I agree. Because, like, see, I, I'm, a, I'm a Rangers fan, right? So I'm a Rangers season ticket holder. So, it, you're, like, obviously, it looks like Rangers are going to go on and win the league, right? And it's a sore one, obviously, not being able to actually be in the stadium to witness it, you know? But it's just it's just crazy, crazy times. So it is. But, see, with uh, COVID-19, how do you feel as though the relationship with the Scottish government and Scottish football has been... I don't think it's been great. I don't think we've been treated all that great, to be honest. Man, I don't think anyone's been treated that great, to be honest. It's yeah. it's it's a it's a total mess. It really is a total mess. You know, I'm seeing today Boris Johnson's making a trip to Scotland. Why? I I don't get this at all. Here's a government that's telling everybody to stay at home. We need to be safe and we need to stay at home. Yet He's jumped on an aeroplane and gone up to Scotland. Yeah, is that now? I for me, this is a PR stunt. That's all it is. Now is not the time to be doing PR stunts. So, if you're going to send out a message, send out the correct message. And doing that, in my humble opinion, is not sending out the correct message. So it's a mess. It really is. Um, but you know, I don't have the answers. I'm not a politician. I'm I'm not a scientist. So I have no idea um, what we have to do here. All I can tell you is that I live just across the border from Austria in Germany. We're in lockdown here. We live under strict rules and regulations, which we have to abide by. And I have to say everybody here is very stringent in making sure that those rules are put in place. Um, only recently, we've been told that we can cross the border into Austria. All our family live in, in Austria. But the only way we can do that is under strict, under strict rules and regulations, which, again, we have to adhere to, which is what we are. So that's why I was, you know, I, I got to be honest. Um, you know, I, I couldn't give a shit about politics, mate. I really don't. But when I see the leader of, of the, the United Kingdom, one minute telling everybody to stay at home, to safeguard the future of the population, and then he's jumping on an airplane to go to Scotland. Come on, seriously. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And uh, speaking of that as well, when you look at how Celtic went to Dubai for essential training, uh, I, I couldn't get my head around that whatsoever. And, and look how it turned out. It's a complete unmitigated disaster, them going to Dubai. And I just want to get your thoughts on um, Neil Lennon as well, like the way he was still where he's still trying to justify, even though his boss came out and apologised for it. it was, I can't get my head around it, mate. It's its bizarre. It's a PR disaster. Yeah, well, you, you've said it all, Scott. You don't need me to add to anything about it. It's um, It was a mistake, a huge mistake. They shouldn't have done it. Um, and they're paying the cost of that now. So, yeah, it's not for me to say, mate. Yeah, absolutely. 
But just changing the subject a bit, I, obviously you were you're saying that you're uh, in Austria right now. Uh, what kind of work are you doing over there? Because I know obviously you're a, a sports producer, so can you elaborate on that? So what I'm doing at the moment, since I left uh, being sports back in the summer, where I was sadly made redundant due to the pandemic, I, um, I've accepted a role recently with uh, a brand new sports management company called Concilium Sports Group. Yes. Which um, is run by Jackie McNamara and a guy called Mike Martin, who used to be the owner and chairman of Dundee United Football Club. And they came um, together with a lady called Helen Parker, who used to um, uh, who used to run a, a commercial agency and who was very well connected in the world of golf. So the three of them came together, set up Concilium, and then um, Jackie and I had a conversation about possibly coming on board and, and how I could help. And um, after a number of meetings with them, they, uh, they very kindly offered me a role with the company where I'm helping to set up their, their new media division. So I'm looking after a number of their clients in terms of the television work. We're looking to do our own productions. So anything from podcasts to on-air productions, um, television production, sport production. So at the moment, I'm busy um, building relations with a lot of international sports broadcasters all over the world to source them guests for their Euros coverage, for the World Cup coverage, for domestic coverage, which I'm really, really enjoying. And I'm also uh, helping Jackie on the business, uh, the football business side of things as well. So. It's, um, it's very challenging. It's, I'm very much learning on the job when it comes to the football business side of it, but I'm really, really enjoying it. And I'm not missing working in TV at the moment at all. Um, I'm actually quite happy to be away from it. Um, I would never say never to uh, a role if a, if a role presented itself. But at the moment, I'm really content doing what I'm doing and it's, it's challenging me. And um, yeah, it's, it's really good fun, mate. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear. And uh, I just want to uh, ask you about your time in uh, Qatar as well. Like mm. that, because that must have been a very unique and uh, a really good experience. It was, yeah, it was fantastic. I had seven very happy years there. That, you know, my Harvey was born there. I lived in Singapore before we moved there. So my wife and I moved to Qatar. Um, you know, my wife picked up a fantastic job. She's still actually there, um, working away still. She's doing very well and is very successful. But it was um, it was fascinating to, to live there and, and watch the place grow as the World Cup gets ever ever closer. And the, just the way that the, the city and the country developed from an infrastructure point of view, from a logistical point of view, um, I, 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 I have nothing but, but good things to say about the place. Um, really nice people. Um, a wee bit hot in the summer, mind you. Yeah, but uh, just a lovely place. Um, yeah, it, it was very lucky to live there, mate. You know, I, I got to be honest. And we did a little bit of traveling while we were there up until obviously the pandemic hit us. Um, so yeah, it was very nice. Was very lucky to live in a in two or three really nice apartments while we were there, and then we moved to a house in a compound for, for our final year there. We made some really great friends and, um, you know, the boys made, the boys first went to school there. So it holds very special memories for us. You know, it's the birthplace of Harvey. So yeah, it's a, it's a very special place to us. 
not I can imagine. I can, um, but I'm a I'm at, at university just now doing a sports journalism, right? So see for like people out there that want to become a sports journalist slash a sports broadcaster like myself. What advice could you give them? Would you say? Um, first and foremost. I would say, because I find myself in the position again, having to reinvent myself as a person again, is never ever give up on your dream. If you have a goal, go 100% with all your energy and go fight for it. Don't ever give up, don't ever stop, but be humble along the way because people very quickly will tag you. And if you are a good guy, you'll get help along the way. If you're not such a good guy, people can sometimes remember that. So I've always said, be humble and be nice to people. Depending on your personality, my advice would be don't ever sell your mother down the river for a story because people don't forget that. And it makes, it makes peers wary of your personality and it makes people wary of your intentions. So don't sell, don't sell your mother down the river. Um, you know, I, I come from journalism in the blood and my grandfather was a much respected football journalist before he died many years ago. And my uncle, up until recently when he retired, was a hugely respected football journalist because these guys were proper journalists. You know, if a manager came to them and said, look, this stays off the record, it stayed off the record. And my uncle and my grandfather were not the type of people that were looking to get a headline. That's not the type of people that they were. They were the type of people who wanted to help, were there to write the story factually and correctly. Um, and through that, through their, through their working ethic um, and ethos, they, they, they gained the respect of everybody. And it's helped me massively in my own career because I've been able to use their names to open doors and to make people warm to me as a person when maybe they were unsure of me. And, you know, the perfect example of that is, you know, I used my grandfather's name when I met Sir Alex Ferguson when I first joined MUTV. And as soon as I mentioned his name, his whole body language changed in a flash. And Sir Alex Ferguson was incredible with me for the five years that I was there and continued to be amazing with me even after I left. So, and that's all down to my grandfather and my uncle. Um, so I would like to think that I carried on their legacy to a degree um, because, you know, people, people put their trust in me. And I don't think my, my, my blog page would have done as well as it has done if these guys did not know that they couldn't trust me. Um, you know, I'm speaking to people who, who don't know much about me, but what they've done is they've used... They've, they've used their ex-teammates as a point of reference and they've said, look, this guy's got in touch with me called Ali Beg. I don't know him. He wants to do an interview with me. Is he sound? Is he okay? And they've all said to him, 
fire in. You have nothing to worry about with Ali, you know. Um, you know, and during the blogs, you know, some of the guys have, have, have even said to me, um, like, can we can we leave that out? And I've gone, 100 percent absolutely. Um, I've even written stuff up and looked at it and gone, I need to be careful with that. And I've gone back to them and said, look, my advice is that we take that line out because potentially it it you know it could flare up. So I would rather err on the side of caution because I feel that I have a duty to also protect these guys as well. Um, so if they can trust me, then they will open up to me. And I think that's the reason why I've been quite successful with the blog because people have opened up to me um, emotionally and by telling me their story as well. So, and I, I can only achieve that by being a straightforward guy, being a nice guy, and not pulling the wool over people's eyes and most importantly, being trustworthy. So that's the advice I would give. Make sure that people can trust you. Very well said, Ali, absolutely very well said. And I can, uh, I'll tell you a wee story as well. I've done an interview um, with, I won't mention his name, right? But I've done an interview with a football coach, right? And uh, like towards the end of the interview, I uh, asked him a question about Ian Cathro, right? And he said a couple of things. And, uh, and then he texted me afterwards and he said, is it okay if you can take out the Cathro? But I went, oh, yeah, that's no problem at all. Because like, obviously I own the, the audio, right? It's mine. But see if I went out and put what he didn't want out there, then that will look bad in me. And see within like the Scottish football circle, uh, just say like that 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 will put a, a dent in my name if you know what I'm saying. Like, oh, don't do an interview with him because if you want something edited out, you won't do it. You know exactly. As you say, it's all about trust and it, like it's all about integrity as well. Like, you, like if someone asks, like someone's took their time out to do an interview with you, and if they make a request to take something out, and you say no, that's just completely wrong i could yeah i completely agree mate and it, it is important that you gain a good reputation for yourself because what you don't want is you don't want a reputation where people will start thinking ill of you mm -hmm. because otherwise i'm telling you right now your podcast will shut down within the next six months because you won't be able to get guests because word of mouth is also very important exactly so so what you want like for example right i'll give you an example scott I wouldn't have been able to get Hans Heelhouse to do my blog if it wasn't for Theo Schnelders. Because Hans got in touch with Theo, asked about me, is he okay? Will he do as I ask him? And Theo went, you can put 100% of your trust in Ali. The next thing I know, Hans Heelhouse is texting me back saying, I would be delighted to do a, do a blog with you. That's Hans Heelhouse, man, you know? He was an absolute superstar for Aberdeen. Now, I would never have got him if these guys did not trust me. It's really important, Scott. I can't begin to tell you, and for anyone else that's thinking about doing it, how important it is to gain the trust of these guys. Um, you know, and don't be looking for that headline-making line. Don't be looking for that little nugget that you that will that could end up being controversial. Just because you might get half a dozen more listeners or a dozen more listeners, because in the long run and in the in, in for the success of the blog with its and your podcast for its longevity, 
you need to have people on your site and you need to have people going, do you know what, Scott, I, I, I know about you. I've heard your podcasts before. I've spoken to a couple of people. They've told me that you're sound. Yes, mate, I'll do it for you. It's all about the word of mouth, mate. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely spot on as well. And see, nowadays, especially with online media, I feel as though clickbait culture is such a huge thing. Like you, you see a you see a headline and you're like, okay, like people just won't even click an article. They'll just see the headline and they'll take it for for verbatim. And then when you actually look at the article, it, it's like nothing like what the actual headline is. It's ridiculous. You see, the thing I, I tell you, who are really really good at doing that, talk sport. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Talk are, sport are the are the best at doing that. And that. and people fire in. They absolutely fire in. And I, and I sit there and sometimes I, you know, I'll see through, you know, I don't follow TalkSport and I don't follow any of their, their um, presenters or anything like that. But when people that I do follow retweet or like, sometimes it pops up in your timeline, you look at it and you go, oh God, come on guys, get a grip. Mm-hmm. You know, sh- surely you've got a lot more to say constructively about the game in Scotland than something like that. And immediately I, I scroll down, I go straight past it. Some people can't because they, they, they need to fight. They need to have a dig. They need, they need to respond. That's all about clickbait. Don't, you know, don't, don't get involved in clickbait. It's, it, it, trust me, it's, it's not good for you. <laughs> I know. It's, it's even I see, uh, as you were saying, when I see all these people replying to like, a video on TalkSport, I'm just like, you're giving them the reaction they want. This is what Exactly. They like. See, exactly. I, one guy, I think you probably know him, Adrian Durham. Do you know who that is on TalkSport? Oh, yes. Yeah, right. yeah. Like I seen the other day, he was like, because Celtic went to Dubai, he was like, oh, Celtic should be demoted to League Two. And you're like, you don't believe half this stuff, mate. You're just saying this because you know people with half a brain are going to phone in and get riled up. <laughs> you know, I, I, I worked for TalkSport in, in the summer of, I think it was 2000. Me and my, we made a really good friend of mine, a guy called Nick Cochran. We did a, a summer there. And uh, I, I must admit, I had a fantastic summer there. It was really, really good fun. But by the, as our term was sort of coming to its end, you know, we got pulled into a meeting before we did our first show. And the boss said, you say black, you say white. It's the only way it works. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, okay. We'll, we'll kind of do as we're told. We're still young, a little bit wet behind the ears. Um, so we fired in and Nick would say something and I would disagree for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Then I would say something and Nick would disagree for the sake of it. And Nick and I used to drive down to London from Manchester together. And I remember driving home one night after the show. And I said to him, did you, did you really disagree with me? Did you? And he went, no mate, not at all. I, I, was, I was right with you. What you said made a hundred percent sense. But you know, for the sake of the show, I had to argue with you and, and, and give across that, that perception that I didn't agree with you. And I'm like, well, why don't we stop doing that? You know, it, it actually might make for a more versed conversation and a more intellectual conversation. If we don't pretend that we don't agree with each other, let's not do that anymore. Let's actually, you know, if you genuinely agree with what I say, then let's go down that route because I think it's more genuine, right? So sp- talk sport was very much like that and it still is, it still is to this day. And I also fell into the trap, you know, not long after I, I, I joined Twitter. And if, if people would come on and, and have a go at me or say things about me and not be very nice about me, I would fire straight back. 
and I would take it personally yeah. and it, it, it would upset me. And there was one, there was one night when my wife said to me, seriously, what are you doing? Why are you engaging with people that one, you don't know, two, have absolutely nothing to do with you, and three, they have no clue what type of person you are. What they see is an image. That's all they see. It's just an image. And they put you on a pedestal and they think because you tweet such a thing that you must be a certain type of person. You're nothing like that at all. Stop engaging with people on Twitter who are having a go at you. And she was absolutely correct. I can't remember the last time I engaged somebody on Twitter who had a pop at me. To be fair, it's actually been quite a while since somebody, because I don't, I, I, I just, I don't put my, my personal feelings out on Twitter anymore. Um, you know, for me, it's all about birthdays and the blog and um, anniversaries of certain events. And, you know, if Aberdeen are playing live, I might tweet a goal or something like that. Um, and occasionally I might do something like with Jamie Langfield, um, when Jamie Langfield was getting a hard time um, back in the autumn, I just felt, mm, I'm, I'm going to fire in here. Uh, but don't get involved. Why? Why get involved? I don't understand it. And I say to my pals, you know, who have got profiles, stop getting involved. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one, it's not good for the soul. It can't be good for your soul. You know, stop wasting your energy on people who are complete strangers. No, you're spot on. Like, see Twitter uh, in 2021, it's a very toxic place. And oh. all the things I really tweet out is uh, just Ranger stuff or whatever, you know. Yeah. And I, I don't like see, like, when I see, for example, if a Celtic fan says something negative about Rangers or whatever, and it would come up my timeline, and I'm just like, I'm not, I don't reply to it. It's just like, don't. I, like why, why engage in arguments on Twitter? You know, it's, it's just not for me at all. I tell you what Twitter is, mate. It is a playground for hateful, spiteful people. That's mm -hmm. all it is. It's a playground for bullies. That's all Twitter has become. It's a yeah. nasty, toxic place. Yeah. But it also does very much have its advantages as well. So what I've done with Twitter is very much look at the positive sides of the, of the site and how it can help me generate my content, the stuff that I put out, so I look at it from a positive point of view, but people have to be careful with Twitter because it is becoming a it's becoming a nasty place. Yeah, and don't you find it funny though that the people that try to criticise you are people with faceless uh, profile pictures? And they yeah, of course. Yeah, they're hiding it like a, like an egg or like a, a footballer uh, yeah. or whatever. You know, like you can't and, and I, use themselves. And a username. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just like a complete fake name. It just screams yeah. insecurity, honestly. Exactly. Don't waste your energy, seriously. No, absolutely. And uh, Ali, just to end off, right, um, really enjoyed the chat, but I need to, you need to tell me the story about how you were in a boy band in the, the 90s. <laughs> you need to tell me about this. <laughs> I was, I was leaving, leaving that to the main event. <laughs> tell me the backstory with this one. <laughs> Oh man, I just can't escape it. You know, it's been, <laughs> believe it or not, right? Believe it or not. And I really had to pinch myself about this. Next year will be 30 years since I met the boys for the first time. 30 years? 30 years, man. Jesus. It's, yeah, it, I just, I can't get my head around it. It's been, how long has it been since we split up? So we split up in 1995. So it's what, 
eight years, uh, 28 years, mm-hmm. something like that. Maths was never my strong point, mate. So, yeah. <laughs> same here. 1995 is when we split up. You know, I know people that weren't even born in 1995. I wasn't even born then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, listen, mate, you know, the, the great thing about it is I've come to accept, and it took me a long time, a long, long time, and it was only after I met my wife that I was able to accept that what I did was actually okay. That I should look back on it with a great deal of fondness, that I should be proud of what we achieved and not to hide away from it. Because for 15 years, it, it ate away at me. And you know, I, I, people say to me, what was it like in that band? And I'll say to them, I, I held the hand of the devil for three years, going on four years. It was that tough. Um, it, it turned me into the type of person that I never ever wanted to become. I lost my, my own identity. I very much struggled with the fact that I believed I was a fraud and that, that troubled me for many, many years. And thankfully by meeting my wife, I was able to slowly open up about it Um, because through meeting my wife, I I met a a new group of people and and made a new set of friends who were predominantly German or Austrian. And um, it's inevitable that people find out. It's just inevitable. So when, when these guys first found out, it was the natural thing for them to be slightly intrigued and ask a couple of questions. And I would kind of just, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd, I'd rather talk about someone else. Um, so I, I wouldn't answer the questions. And, and Miriam took a hold of me one night and she said to me, look, what you did is something that millions of people would give their left arm to do. And people are genuinely fascinated by the fact that you used to be in a boy band. So there's no agenda. There's no selling of stories. There's no judging. They're just interested. So open up. Don't open up fully. Don't, you know, don't sell your soul. But just in your own time, just try and engage them a little bit in the conversation because they're only interested. They find it fascinating that you used to be in a boy band. So through that, mate, I was able to sort of open up about it. Um, You know, and now I... It's a bit weird for me because it feels like a completely different person when I, when I look back on it. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I don't look back on it very often. But when I do, it, 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 I have to look at it and I go, Christ, that was me. I, I actually, I, I did that and I lived that for four years, three, four years. So I really have to pinch myself sometimes. But, mate, honestly, it was, it was hard work. You know, we worked every day. I swear to God, man, we worked every day for going on three years and we worked up to 12 hours a day to try and make that band as successful as we possibly could with what was a very poor production behind us, musical production behind us, because we always felt that what would do us in was the production of the, of the sound, of the music, of the songs 
of the album. Yeah. Now that's not me trying to sound like I'm a world-renowned producer because I'm not. But I know when I listen to a record or when I listen to an album or when I listen to a song, I have a good enough ear to know if it's a good song or a bad song. And I knew quite quickly um, because I immersed myself in it that some of the records that were getting chosen for us as singles baffled me, just baffled me. Now, I also knew very quickly, Scott, that when you're in a band and the type of band that I was in, it's very important that your next single has to do better than your last single to keep that momentum going. So thankfully we charted and we had a top 20 hit with our opening single, our debut single, which we were content with, um, but we were hoping it would do a bit better. So for me, the next single had to be absolutely spot on. And the reason that song was chosen was because it was the, the producer's mother's favorite song. That's why it got released. The song was shite. And it should never have seen the cold light of day. Mm -hmm. I, I was just, and that's when I first started to think, oh dear, you know, but you know, I'm still new to this. They've given me an amazing opportunity. So I've got to stay nice. I've got to stay humble. I, I've got to accept the decisions that are getting made on my behalf. Um, you know, they, they could get rid of me and bring in a new guy at the drop of a hat. And I, and I, I should not have been like that. I should have been stronger. I should have been stronger. And it, it's the only regret that I have about my time in the band is that as a unit, we should have been stronger when it came to the decision-making. Because at the end of the day, mate, and I'll never forget this as long as I live, it's us who are out there grafting. It's us who have to take the flag from yeah, you, the general public. Actually, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the animal that was behind us, they move on. They move on to the next project. They don't have to deal with people coming up to you in a, in a, a health club where I was working and are giving it, Jesus Christ, look at you now. You know, they don't have to do, they don't, they don't have to deal with that from an emotional point of view. I did. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's the only thing I would say, I, I just wish I could change, if I could turn back the clock, is that we took a little bit more control of our own destiny. Um, but saying that, mate, you know, I got to travel all over the world. I got to perform in front of tens of thousands of screaming fans. We had six top 30 hits. We had a top 10 album. We had a sellout tour. Um, you know, we broke viewing figures in Japan. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing when I look back. Um, how lucky am I to have been able to have done such a thing? You know, it's just, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time for it, for it to, to happen for me. But... You know, as, as much as I was grateful for the opportunity, I worked my bollocks off. I really, really worked my bollocks off to make sure that we tried to make the band as successful as we could to try and gain that respectability and credibility, you know, with, with your peers and within the industry as well. So, you know, in the dance rehearsal studios every day, man, you know, uh, just, you know, working on the vocals. Because I wasn't a singer. Jesus Christ, I came with an image. That was it, you know. 
So for me, it's like, well, you, you got to offer more than that, mate. You know, you can't just stand in front of a camera and pout. You know, you got to do a lot more than that, fella. So come on, let's work on the dancing. Let's really nail that. And let's work on this, the voice. Let's really work on the vocals and get this to a level where people are going to respect us. And Jesus, man, we worked so hard. So, but yeah, man, I, I do now. I, I look, you know, I look back with a great deal of fondness and very lucky that I, that I, um, that I experienced such a thing. Absolutely. I think that's the best way to look at it. Like, look at the positives, you know, and uh, you've, you've told some fantastic stories. And see, when you actually look at your life and look back on it, like, you should be proud that you've had some life and it's only going to get, get better, especially Thanks, when uh, this pande- pandemic is over. Yeah, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. No, honestly, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, Alex. Uh, anytime, mate, anytime. Like no, I've really enjoyed it, mate. So uh, until next time, guys, take care and we'll see you soon.